Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. just got a whole lot bigger because we are talking to a guy who is in the state where everything is bigger. We're talking to our good buddy, longtime supporter of this year podcast, previous guest, and uh, just a really, really cool dude. Somebody that I'm just proud to know. Somebody that when you look at you know who your followers are on Instagram, if you got Mike Reber following you, you just got like 10 points cooler in my book. He is he's just a phenomenal guy. He's, I mean, he's got an eye for the most catching images. And like, I wish you all could see his uh, backdrop right now on this uh, call that we're doing for the interview. The room is just beautiful. It's, it's got all kinds of, uh, beautiful euro mounts shoulder mounts a wall of rifles and uh some antlers laying around on the floor i know he's a big shed hunter like myself uh, in fact that was the first thing that ever uh, drew me to uh mike was his uh, profile picture on instagram was of him just holding i think it's still the same one him holding this awesome hammer of an antler and uh I was like, yep, that's the kind of guy I want to know. So, uh, Mike, it is so good to have you back on the podcast. We'll introduce you more uh, as the show goes on, of course. But just to pull our listeners in. So, and, and maybe I'll give a little refresher here. So, that I first learned that Mike was a food guy when I saw that he was roasting radishes as like a side dish or, you know, something to just, uh, you know, accentuate the, the, main, the main item uh, for the dish. And, uh, when I saw those roasted radishes, I was like, I have never thought of that before. And, uh, since then my family has done that many times. You, uh, you taught us a new thing and, uh, my wife loves doing that. And we introduced it to my in-laws and they're foodies and, uh, they like them. So, uh, but Mike, what is the most delicious mouthwatering thing you have, uh, cooked up here recently? Well, you're putting me on the spot. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Man. I would tell you. So I, I went on my very first uh, snow goose hunt uh, a couple months ago, and uh, it was incredible. And I had never, I had never gone goose hunting. I have never really uh, prepared goose, but I decided to make a Szechuan style snow goose. Ooh. So, uh, like super spicy. Uh, the whole thing you cook in a wok in about 10 minutes, it comes together. It's crispy. It's spicy. It's got this really amazing, um, kind of brown sauce that goes on it. So it's perfect with white rice. It's perfect with broccoli and it cooks in 15 minutes. So how can you go wrong? Uh, so I'm a big fan of that. I would tell you that's probably my favorite thing that I've made lately. Really? Man, Uh that sounds delicious. Uh, I never realized how good, um, like Asian inspired food could be, you know, because my whole, I I always, you know, once I, I think every kid says, ew, yeah, I don't like, you know, Chinese food or Asian food or whatever. Right. But then once I learned that, that, uh, it is actually delicious, all my experience had 
just been limited to like American Chinese, you know, like basically chicken nuggets thrown in a deep fryer and, and, <laughs> and, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's right. And it was still delicious. <laughs> but then, uh, so my brother-in-law, he is uh, Chinese. He gr- uh, was born in China and uh, came to the States, I think when he was like 13 <clears throat> and lived down in the Southwest in Utah. Uh, may have spent some time in California as well, I think, and then ended up going to college in Michigan. So he's all over the map here. And uh, we, as like a family, we got together for uh, like a family vacation in the summertime, went up to Toronto. It was kind of like a centralized meeting place for everybody. And because uh, here's a good little uh, connection thing. You're from New Hampshire originally, right? Mike? New York. New York. That's New right. York. Northeast. Okay. Same yeah. Yep. Yep. So very, very <laughs> uh, close. I knew the you were up there corridor. somewhere. So my in-laws are from New Hampshire. And so <clears throat> it ended up being this like nice, you know, kind of middle ground place that none of us has really had any experience with. And so we went there and my one night, my brother-in-law was like, all right, dinner's on me tonight. We're going to go to Chinatown and I'm going to take you guys to like a legit Chinese restaurant and they had this, uh, this cooking style. And I always feel like this isn't the right name, but I think it is the right name. They called it wet pot, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. hot pot, but wet pot. And they, they, you know, basically boiled all these different things. And it was like a fish based thing. And that spiciness that you were just talking about Asian spicy is so different from like Mexican spicy or from, you know, I, I don't really know what other, I guess Italian can ha- can be pretty spicy too sometimes, but Asian spicy was different. Like, like Mexican spicy is delicious, but it can ruin your neck several days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. We all know that well down here in Texas. That's right. But but Asian spicy, it's like it's hot going down, but then your body is like, okay, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is the the type of chili, the way that they're used. I mean, on the on the Szechuan style one, um, you know, you're basically taking a dried chili and just heating it up and getting the oils to kind of come back to life and wake up a little bit in the, in the cooking oil. Okay. And then at that same time, you have a bunch of garlic. I mean, I, I probably use 10 cloves of garlic in there. It just, oh, wow. just, I mean, it's just that the type of cooking is just full of flavor. It's explosive flavor. Um, it's real fresh, um, fresh ginger. Um, and so, you know, you, you, that spice that you're talking about, it, it won't burn your mouth off. But it's just enough to like enhance the dish. Yes, and then it just fades away, which I, which I really like. And yes. I am Italian, so I, I get the Italian heat thing. Yeah, I live in Texas, I get the Tex-Mex heat, the Mexican mm-hmm. cuisine heat. Um, but yeah, they're all different. Yep. And I had I had never experienced that until. And he he said that he's like, this is going to be really spicy, but it's not going to wreck your day. You know, it's going right, to it's right. not going to you're not right. going to have heartburn all night and all that. And and so. It it was I was totally uh, blown away by just the difference and how unique the flavor w- really was in a true genuine experience like that and so, man, that goose sounds delicious. I need to come and down, I come will down. tell you, it's just what I think I like most about it. It just comes together so quickly, right? So yes. you don't have to have something simmering on the stove for a long time, or you don't have to. You know, it's not like that multi-step, right? I mean, like the, the most time-consuming thing with that is literally 
um, frying the uh, goose or whatever protein that you're using in little in little batches so you don't overcrowd the pan. Once yeah. you're done with that, the whole thing just comes together. Um, I mean, the sauce is literally a couple of minutes. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Great, great thing for somebody who's, you know, got a busy life. And when you get home from work, uh, the other job starts of parenting and running a household and everything else. That's a that's a great sounds like a great dish for that. So and if you haven't been snow goose hunting, I'm here to tell you that it was a blast. No pun intended. I, I really want was, to try it. It was really cool. And we did the uh, the conservation season. So okay, yeah. no limits, no plugs. Um, it was just, it was a hoot. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds amazing. You know, here at my place, we get, um, so I live out in the, you know, middle of Iowa countryside and um, we get every year, it seems about maybe one to three days where like can, uh, Canada geese will be migrating and they just stop over at one of our cornfields and just loaf around for a couple days. But uh, this year, actually, uh, one of the sponsors for the show, Alex Gruen, good friend of mine, was visiting me. Uh, he was uh, on his way back uh, from his hunt uh, in Kansas, his whitetail hunt in Kansas, heading back to Michigan. And uh, there was like I don't know, maybe a hundred, hundred and fifty snow geese, like fifty yards from my front door. And uh it's like, man, I should have gotten that that license, you know, my my stamp and uh my you know, migratory bird uh permit and everything. But uh no, it, I do want to hunt snow goose sometime and they do just some some things just sound delicious. Like Canada goose, I definitely want to try in fact I think I have tried Canada goose and it was it was pretty good. But like for some some reason snow goose sounds very delicious i don't know if it's because it's like a smaller bird and for whatever reason I, our brains it's probably something like passed down to us uh from our ancestors our brains associate a lot of like smaller animals as like more tasty like a smaller buck is more tasty than a bigger buck we, at least we think and and right uh, right <clears throat> You know, maybe that's why in like speckle bellies, that's another thing that just looks delicious to me. But, but, uh, there's, I just need to get into the migratory bird scene. All I've ever hunted are doves from as far as migratory birds go. But you and me, you and me both. I, I mean, I moved to Texas and I had the only bird that I had ever hunted was an Eastern turkey. Huh. That was it. And they, yeah. maybe a grouse. We had, we had grouse up there and that, mm. and that was great. And they were super delicious. But, once I moved here, it's like, well, dove season is a whole, is a whole thing. It's yeah. really the kickoff to hunting season. Yep. Um, and I had never experienced anything like that in my life. It was kind of like, oh, this is really fun. You could stand in a yeah. field and you really don't have to wear camo. You could talk to people. You can yeah, have music right, right. playing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great time. Uh, I mean, it's a, it, it's a great time. Yeah. And, uh, and then, um, you know, recently I got into duck hunting and goose hunting. And, yeah, I, I kind of got bit by the, the – uh, the goose and duck bug yeah and and you guys have uh <clears throat> the uh sandhill crane the flying ribeye hunting down there. the ribeye of the sky That's yes we right. do yeah and those are those are fun to hunt that it, it's it's challenging you know it seems like uh certain places they're they're uh flying super thick and some places they're hit or miss and you know it like with any migratory bird it seems like it changes by the day sometimes I mean, I literally see hundreds and then the next day you could see like, you know, two or three. It's just yeah. very strange. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've, I've hunted those a couple of times. They're 
really fun to hunt. Um, it's kind of like a dinosaur falling out of the air. I mean, <laughs> you don't realize how <laughs> they big do, they are until they, they hit do the ground. Sound, they sound like what I got to think a dinosaur sounded like, too, you know? <laughs> like, uh, we have no idea, but I, I guess the closest idea we can get is, like, Jurassic Park. And how true is that? I don't know. I know they consulted, uh, um, oh, what's his name? Jack uh, Jack Horner. Um they they consulted him steven spielberg did when he was making those movies on you know what what were dinosaurs what what do you think they were like you know uh <laughs> right 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 and you so you hear like the velociraptor noise and stuff well you hear a, like a little flock of uh sandhill cranes flying over it sounds exactly like that sound that really like throaty like uh almost a like a throaty uh like howl slash growl type of thing it's it's they're pretty cool kind of a honk yeah. and south texas is is starting to become real covered with them so it's a great place to hunt if you're thinking about coming down here uh north texas has great birds south texas has awesome birds and i mean it's i think the limit's three a day it doesn't sound like much but when you <laughs> when you actually yeah. hold three of them you're i mean it's it's awesome yeah, definitely. That sounds that sounds really cool. So, uh, all that to say, Mike has a vast amount of experience hunting down in Texas, and and you may have I don't remember if I asked you this. Was that a big part of the motivation when you decided to move to Texas? Did you want in on that hunting culture down there and like just diversifying, or was it more just work? based you know business decision Good question uh so my wife is actually a native texan uh, oh, okay. and and i am uh obviously a northeastern guy originally but i probably belonged i i should have been born here let me say that <laughs> i uh you know i growing up in the northeast i mean i i hunted and fished just all the time i mean mm -hmm. i camped a bunch i backpacked and did all that fun outdoor stuff and then so when we we decided to move uh oh probably about eight eight years ago now and um it, it was the best thing you know i just i love texas i love the outdoor culture um so i i think uh you know it just kind of fit right in for for the both of us but definitely especially the outdoors for me it's just uh there's a lot of opportunities here now granted it's totally different than what I grew up hunting and where I grew up hunting. I mean, I, I grew up hunting in, you know, Northern New York and uh, a little bit of Western New York where you, you know, hardwood ridges and cornfields and all that good stuff. And down here, it, I mean, South Texas is, is just vastly different. Right. Mm, um, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's, it's uh it's a fun place to hunt and there's, there's no shortage of things to, to go after and pursue. So yeah. I love it. Yeah, well, well said, well said. But all that to say, I guess we should do our, our little official introduction here. So so Mike is, he, as you can tell, he's a through and through an outdoorsman. I, I really wish you guys could see the backdrop of his of his study right here. It's just beautiful. <laughs> and uh, he, he has a lot of experience hunting all sorts of different species too. And that is a really cool thing about being in Texas is those opportunities abound for a lot of different species and uh you you don't have to go very far to uh you know be able to jump in and try a whole new thing and uh i do want to we'll get into this well you know i'll postpone this part we'll we'll talk about this here in a few minutes the whole 
Texas hunting culture and how it gets a knock sometimes and just how that's not really mm. fair. But, Quite a knock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it's it's not fair. It is not fair, at, at least in, in most cases. I'm sure you could probably go somewhere and maybe find some negative examples. But, but 100%. But we'll talk about that here in a second. But Mike, he is a chef. I love how it just says that on your Instagram. Mike Reaver, chef. It's just good. Uh, uh, he's much more than that, of course. But but uh, that's kind of his thing. He started Roaming Fire Foods, which uh, when we were when we recorded last, it would have been Christmas time ish of twenty twenty one. Right. And uh, um, so at that point, you were like looking forward to really getting rolling with roaming food or with roaming fire food and since then looks like you've been busy man the the car i've been been busy yeah roaming fire great yeah uh just to kind of paint the picture for folks that aren't familiar with roaming fire it's a mobile live fire uh catering uh an adventure cooking setup so um I work with a lot of uh, hunting guides and fishing guides in Texas. And uh, last year was the first year we kicked it off and we put about 5,000 miles on that rig just going across. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. It was a lot of fun and met so many great people. um, So many awesome camps and uh, just great places. I mean, we've talked about this before, but Texas is so you know, so vast and so Mm -hmm. different from a landscape perspective, from, you know, how people decide to hunt, what they're hunting, where they're hunting, things like that. And, um, we were everywhere from West Texas to East Texas and then down South. So, Mm -hmm. um, it was great. Just like I said, just met so many amazing people and, uh, you know, to, to be able to share a lot of hunting camps, um, and just cook for great groups was, was really fun and rewarding. Um, and plus I got to hang out at hunting camp while other people were out hunting. So it was, <laughs> you know, right. yeah. that's part of the whole experience. So it was really a dream come true for me. Yeah, no, that's, that's so cool. And I got to say some of the most delicious looking things I've seen on Instagram have been hanging from, uh, the, the roaming fire food trailer. <laughs> I mean, so we do a I, lot of, a lot of South American inspired, uh, barbecue and, and cooking styles. Oh, it looks uh, so good. And hanging tomahawks is a specialty for sure. So yes. yeah, I do. I do a lot of hanging food for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And, uh, you, I think you've had like some axis deer hanging there, which I've heard time and time again, axis deer is the most delicious game meat there is. And I am dying to try, uh, if we didn't have, if we didn't have three little kids, Mike, uh, so Mike and I are going to talk after this call is over about, uh, my wife and I possibly taking a trip to Texas for our 10 year, uh, anniversary. But, um, I think for our 20th, when our kids are older and can kind of take care of themselves when they're visiting, you know, the grandparents or something like that, um, we're going to go to Hawaii and I want to go to Lanai and I want to hunt axis deer like all day long for a couple of days and, uh, get, get myself some, uh, axis axis deer or do, do they still call it venison i suppose venison is just kind of an old yeah, term yeah. for wild type game, of venison type of venison i think it's probably the best type of venison i'll probably catch a lot of flack for that but uh what, yeah what, I, what is it so you're you're a food guy what is it about it that makes it so delicious is it just because it's so lean or is there just truly a different flavor there no there's truly a different flavor it's to me it's a little bit uh it's it's tough to describe 
described. For me, it's a little bit richer of a flavor, um, and it's a little bit but sweeter than a whitetail, I think. Okay. Um, it's definitely a little bit more of that deep red mm. uh, color. Uh, you know, like as you kind of start to transition <clears throat> from a whitetail to an elk, it's in the middle, I would say. But same thing, I mean, as far as, you know, you know, if you're trying to compare, right, like elk is a much more bold, meaty, rich flavor. Um, yeah. And so I think when compared to a whitetail, I'd say whitetail's on the mild side. Hmm. Um, and I'm not a fan of, of the term gamey at all because yeah. I, I don't really know what that means, right, but, right, uh, right. <laughs> but I, I, it's definitely, it's, it's a little bit more flavor than, than a whitetail. Yeah. I think when people say, uh, that tastes gamey they're what they're saying is I actually taste nutrition here. <laughs> I, yeah. I, or or they they're, they're tasting something that's prepared really terribly or they just yeah, haven't had it. So, because I mean true. you know again like what is what is gamey? Tell me what that means. I don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> right. and I've I've had plenty of overcooked pieces of venison in my life, but you know, it never was gamey to me. Yeah, definitely, definitely. No, I I definitely want to try some uh some axis deer and I can see you got a few uh on the wall and got some nice uh rugs back there. Which that is the other part of axis deer. They have the freakishly cool antlers and then the uh rug that you or uh, you know, hide that you can have tanned just as beautiful too. With like basically the fawn spots, you know. They're a stunning animal. Um and uh you know they've they've done so well here in Texas. Obviously they're they're at a lot of ranches that are that are high fenced uh managed, but they also are are free ranging in Texas and they are everywhere. Really? I didn't know um, that. That's cool. More yeah, more hill country for sure. Um, I mean, I, so I, I live just west of Austin and, uh, when I drive south to the ranch that I hunt, I mean, you know, it's not uncommon to see two or three on the side of the road in the middle of the night wow. driving down. Yeah. That's cool. yeah and, you, and that's starting to become more of a common occurrence. Um, you know, of course it's always awful when you see them hit on the side mm, of the road, looks yeah. like any other, like a whitetail, but, um, yeah, they're, they are around for sure in the, in the hill country. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, you know, let's. I think now's the time to jump into it here. So you may have heard the alarming words that Mike just uttered. Oh, high, high fence, and uh, high fence in Iowa is very different than high fence in Texas. High fence in Iowa, I, I would, I would probably agree with all you naysayers that are tuning in right now and having your hackles up. I, uh, you know, that's going to be a 200 acre operation where it is very, very limited for where these animals can go. And, uh, you could, you know, have way too dense of a population of of animals in there and it would have very much so a livestock feel <clears throat> texas just like i started the episode everything is bigger in texas <laughs> especially the high fence ranches and uh it is not uncommon for ranches in texas to be dozens of thousands of acres in size just just think of that now so we're talking yep. 20, 30, maybe even more thousand acres that a lot of these operations are. And if they aren't that big, they're still like 10, 12, you know. Well, and, and I think and another thing to, to you know, kind of 
touch on a little bit with that is that a lot of people don't know, including myself prior to moving here, I, I didn't know a lot of the, uh, the management side. Yes. Of, That's a good of point. All of it. Right. Um, so in, in the state of Texas, whitetails are actually property of the state, right? Mm. Which a lot of people don't actually realize. So Texas parks and wildlife and the state of Texas own those animals. That's interesting. I didn't know that. So, you know, w- when you hear that someone has a, you know, a high fence place or they're, they're managed, you know, property, MLVP is, is what we call it here in Texas. That is a basically uh, a partnership for lack of a better term between that landowner and, and Texas parks and wildlife. Okay. And, and, and there are required, um, you know, uh, surveys that you need to do throughout the year, um, and, and, and things like that, that, you know, the, the state has a, vest, a vested interest in, you know, how you manage it and, and they're, sure. they're going to help you with that. Um, and so I think, I think that, that actually helps a lot more people out of state understand what the heck is going on down here, because it's, it's not, you know, it's not just a, a petting zoo, um right, right. a lot of these ranches of course there are the outliers that, that by the way don't just exist in texas they they exist all across the country because there yeah. are estate hunts that you can go on there are high fence hunts in a lot of places that you can go on that, that are outside the state of texas mm-hmm. but they are very densely populated um for whatever reason and so i i think you'd find uh, as an out-of-state hunter that a lot of the ranches in texas are extremely well managed um and that they're not overpopulated and right. they are uh you know they're they're really they're really there um you know doing great things for wildlife yep and there's a lot of success stories with that you know as, as it, with with management and conservation um with different animals in the state and you could walk a long ways on most of these ranches without ever even seeing the fence that that everyone is is so you know that holds so tightly to that part of it, you know? And so these animals are living wild lives inside these, these, these operations. And so, um, I think it's just such a good thing to revisit this topic at least a couple times a year because it builds a barrier, uh, within the hunting community simply because people aren't informed. They, they don't understand what what's going on there. And I, you know, I, I'm not going to claim I understand it because I haven't been there yet to, to see it. But, um, I've talked with guys like Mike talked like, uh, um, John Lusk from Lusk Archery Adventures, who's done a lot of uh, Texas ranch hunts. And also he went up to uh, South Dakota on a similar sized ranch. I think it was like 13,000 acres and uh, hunted a bison. And uh, he, you know, said, yeah, it's a wild animal, you know. And and so the, you know, I've from hearing from from guys like Mike and John, and I think I've even had maybe one other guy on at one point. I'd have to think who that was. You're going to be episode number uh, one seventeen, Mike. So uh, it's been it's been a lot of people in the, through the years on on the show, but <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, just from hearing from the guys that have been there and and then hearing it on other podcasts and TV shows, you know, it's a it's a totally different experience than than what most people. Uh, think it is and so i love that aspect though of the management side of it and um 
you know, <clears throat> another thing I learned about Texas recently, and again, Texas is a huge state, so this doesn't apply to everything, but um, Texas really has a lot of it been totally reworked um, from its original state. And, uh, you know, obviously development, that's everywhere. Uh, but even from an agricultural side, uh, most people don't think of Texas when they think of the Dust Bowl era. And uh, Texas was definitely a very large part you know, of what went on during that, that era. And the reason we had the Dust Bowl was because of the amount of terraforming that was going on in that region of the world, just like has gone on here in Iowa and uh, throughout all the Midwest and a lot of the South and, and even up into Mike's old stomping grounds in the Northeastern part of our country. You know, we have totally changed the landscape. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because I think the other thing people get bent out of shape about are the presence of exotics. But with what Mike said, as far as being managed, you know, uh, very well within these ranches, um, that's one thing that can make people, I think, rest a little easier. But then, too, <clears throat> I kind of almost view those those and I don't have a, you know, a deep enough knowledge of Texas's ecology, maybe to make this statement, but I'm going to make it anyways, because uh, <laughs> my own dang show. Uh, but but <laughs> you go ahead, you go ahead with yourself. <laughs> but I almost view that what Mike was talking about with those axis deer running around, or you can see like Barbary sheep. I know those are in some parts of the state, and they're doing well. And it's kind of like the pheasant here in Iowa. You know, things have changed so much as a result of human activity that. Yeah, it's awesome when we can restore native habitat and have only the native participants there. But I grow native grasses and flowers and sedges to put back on the landscape. And you know what my company's logo is? It's the Chinese ringneck pheasant. That is our company's logo. Uh, because there are no prairie chickens left to really speak of. There's a very tiny experimental population that's been reintroduced in kind of the northwest part of the state here. But but there's it's an open niche and it's total it's not just like, oh, you know, we'll slide, you know, one species in here. No, that that niche has been like pried way open because there's no prairie left hardly. And and so if you can come up with a species that can hack it and isn't invasive, it's just non-native. You know, I think that's another important uh, distinction to make. And I'll admit here, um, if my wife listens into this, I used to, you know, be kind of hard on that and be like, nah, it's not native, so it's invasive. But no, that's not true. There is a difference. And uh, you can have a non-native species that's occupying a wide open niche and uh, still appreciate it and enjoy it, just like we do pheasants, just like we do uh, with northern pike and a lot of lakes across the country, just like we do with uh, many other things that that uh, truly technically aren't from here, but, you know, we can appreciate them and enjoy them as a part of the new modified landscape. And so I think that, you know, knocking on all the things that Texas has imported and put on these ranches, that's not really an informed thing either. And you, you need to just kind of appreciate, I get this vibe, the more I learn about it, you just need to kind of appreciate Texas for what it is instead of, uh, you know, uh, bashing on what it's not. And so, you know, I listened to a podcast the other day, kind of going back to that point. It's a, you know, a trophy, a quote trophy animal, right. <laughs> where I grew up 
uh, hunting, you know, in New York. I mean, we were we were happy if it had, you know, split beam or a split horn, and you know, hey, wow, it was a buck. You know, I got something right. And, right. and a trophy is, I think, whatever uh, you want it to be. Yeah. And I think related to the Texas hunting you know, scenario down here, it, you know, it's not comparable to a lot of places and a yeah. lot of places that, that folks choose to hunt or choose to call home um, and, and myself included. Right. And so, you know, I, I think um, there's a lot of opportunity to hunt here. Um, don't knock it until you try it, but yeah. you know, it's, it's different and, and everything is, is totally um, is, is just different from a hunting perspective. And, you, 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 it's really hard to compare it to, to different states and to different opportunities in other places. You know, I mean, we have native elk mm, in West Texas. That's cool. Right? There, there is elk. There are <laughs> elk hunting opportunities in Texas. That's um, really cool. Is it, is it the same size as your elk in, you know, one of the incredible zones in Wyoming? Probably not. But again, right. Like you, you have to take it with a grain of salt and, that's a hunting opportunity here. Yep. Um, and so, you know, we're, we are really lucky to have a huge population of whitetails here that are, you know, great genetics down South, uh, totally different, just giant genetics up North. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and is that the same thing that I grew up hunting? No, absolutely not. You know, so, um, you know, a small deer here is probably a giant where I grew up. So if, if folks, you know, go into it with that mindset. I think there'd be a lot more people that are understanding of really what's going on here. Yeah. Compared to a lot of places. Yeah. That's, that's very well said. So now that we, now that we've gotten <clears throat> everybody, uh, you know, accepting hopefully at this point, or at least more open-minded, please be at least that, uh, please be willing to at least go do some research for yourself. But, um, if you're like me and you're now accepting of of uh, Texas hunting, let's uh, have Mike sell us on it here a little bit. So uh, let's start with. Uh, so I'm talking with a fellow shedhead here, <laughs> Mike. Can you just kind of like lay out a little bit like what your shed hunting plans are for this year? Like talk about some of the species you're you're after, the the caliber of white tail sheds that you get to pick up that kind of thing well i like the term shed head you should you should coin that coin that yeah i use yeah, it, I use it off. <laughs> uh well all right so as a fellow <clears throat> shed head i will tell you that uh texas has a lot of a lot of incredible shed opportunities uh white tail axis fallow uh, any of your antlers species, that's right obviously. fallow deer red i forgot deer. about that fallow deer can you yeah, red so, deer. so can you explain mm -hmm. like they have almost like caribou antlers right like really webbed palmated antlers. yeah Is palmated right? antler uh back scratcher off the off the uh, rear of the antler super cool animal there's chocolate there are uh white and then there are spotted which is uh it's kind of a hybrid but um i mean and you talk about incredible table fare Fallow deer are wonderful. In fact, mm. fallow deer are farmed uh, uh, quite frequently for their meat. Okay. Um, and so if you a lot of venison that you see on restaurant menus are actually fallow deer. Really? Yep. Huh. 
I yeah. had no idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, so, so you got those. Sorry, I, I didn't just bring that up because oh, there's all I think, sorts. Of I think most people. <laughs> I think most people probably like they link fallow deer and axis deer as one because they see the spotted fallow deer, mm-hmm. but two totally different things. So, so so far we got whitetails, <clears throat> we got axis deer, fallow deer. What else we got to look for for sheds? Uh, red stag, they'll, they'll drop their antlers, uh, Pierre David deer, uh, which is like a Chinese water deer. Um, there are, I'm trying to think what else, uh, oh, I don't know. There's a whole, there's a whole abundance of things, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun for shed season. You know, the, the exotics sometimes tend to shed a little bit different times of the year. Um, mainly axis they'll they'll shed um they kind of there's two sets of axis at least this is how it's always been explained to me and i'm certainly no biologist but there are your spring axis and your fall axis and so they're kind of two sets of of uh axis and they drop at different times so sure. you could find sheds all throughout the year, which is really that, cool. That is awesome. And <laughs> and they're they're much to me, they're a little bit easier to see. My eyes are going, they're just getting worse by the day. So uh I need all the help I can get in the shed woods. So they're you know, good access, anything over thirty-two inches. That's wow. That's a big antler on the ground, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a, so thirty-two inches total on like the whole like all tines or yep. Uh, no, just on the on the main beam. Main wow, beam thirty-two table. inch main beam. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, you see them actually. Uh, if you're interested, go on to uh, Double Nickel Taxidermy, which uh, okay, yeah, I I've seen them. I've seen them all before, the time. They are a, just an absolutely incredible team of of folks there. They uh, just recently had a forty-inch axis come in. Whoa! And that's a monster. I'm looking them up right now on. Uh, instagram yep there they are i do not follow them i follow them now you should they are they're incredible oh yeah oh there's some awesome access handlers there yeah now the red stag are those the the deer that roar do do the red stag they are yep have you heard just like argentina just like new zealand Mm -hmm. have you heard them before while you're hunting I have, I have. <laughs> Did it freak you out? <laughs> they are just as loud as everybody says they are. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that that would be so hard to get used to. That is, that's just so wild, though. So when you go shed hunting, are you literally like, oh, picked up a whitetail antler? Oh, over here, there's an axis. Over here, there's yeah, a foul. Or do are they kind of like in their if different you're lucky, zones? You get a little medley. <laughs> Uh, it's not all just whitetail. I will say that, you know, this time of year when I'm, when I'm looking around for, for whitetail, it's, uh, you know, I, I, that's what my focus is on. That's what I'm looking at. Um, I go into certain areas and look for them. Um, but yeah, it's always great to come across a surprise red deer antler. Oh, <laughs> that, yeah. That'd be so cool. Five times the size of a, of a giant whitetail. <laughs> yeah, that is so cool. I I can only imagine. That sounds like, you know, hopefully heaven is somewhat similar to that, you know, where I can just go shed hunting every single day. And Sheds everywhere. That's all right. Day long. Different species, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's uh that's that's my that's what heaven I hope looks like for me. So, but uh no, that sounds that sounds amazing. So, you got all this stuff for shed hunting sounds like a shed hunter's paradise literally and uh hunting season though how 
How did your hunting season go this last year? Uh, well, it ended up really great, but it, it wasn't the best hunting season. I could honestly say we had, uh, like a lot of the country, we had a severe drought, severe Mm. heat all year long. I mean, starting last May, it was just a scorcher here uh, in central and South Texas, just a scorcher. Mm. We had had so many days over a hundred, um, and it just, just no rain and no moisture and you know our our tanks were getting dry um you know grasses weren't growing and and things weren't you know really hard to come by and so um you talk about management that was a time when wildlife management was extremely important i mean i think more important than ever um supplemental feeding getting basic things like water to these animals you know i mean you have um just tanks drying up i mean i i'm talking the the earth cracked right Mm. i mean you, you know the ground that's just cracked i mean it's hard as concrete and so uh last year was just a hard one going into the season um you know typically when dove season rolls around around september um yeah i have a good idea of where these deer are and where they're hanging out and sure um it just it it was very unpredictable last year i ended up uh catching up with a deer that i hadn't seen since july um and i caught up with him a week before thanksgiving um and he was you know, obviously he was, he was hitting protein during the summer, which, which literally just most of what everything was eating here because there was nothing, you know, left. Everything was just burned, Hmm. um, just not growing. And so, um, the animals were just kind of doing strange things and, um, he disappeared and, uh, yeah, finally we, we, we did get some rain, uh, in September and we did get some rain uh, the day I shot him. It was raining in November. So, um, I, I was very fortunate to catch up with him. I obviously working in the, in the industry and, and cooking and guiding for folks <clears throat> takes me out of the woods, uh, <laughs> a lot. Yeah. So I, when I'm there, I need to make a count. And, uh, I just got, I got really lucky with him last year, but, um, yeah, it was a tough one. It was really a tough one, but, you know, I think I think folks handled it really well here too. Um, you know, the the fawn fawn crop and the fawn numbers were really low um, just due to the lack of rain, lack of grasses last spring, and so um, you know, management was really important. And I, you know, I talked to a lot of ranchers and a lot of guides um, that just said, you know, we're we're really gonna not take as many does as we have historically, right? And th- and this goes back to the conversation that we were having before about how um important it is to manage these properties you know because if you just do what you did last year it might not be applicable and it might not make sense for this year and so you need to you need to evolve and tailor that approach um which which i think most people did uh just to just to kind of counter what was going on from a weather perspective so hopefully this year we we have a lot more rain um certainly that's happened in the past you know a couple years ago we had incredible wet spring Hmm. um grasses were super thick and super lush and uh you know that was a great year for deer yeah that's uh pretty 
similar to what we had in Iowa mm-hmm. this summer, just a real dry year. And, you know, the, back to selling the native prairie and talking to the dust bowl and stuff, we need more of that stuff around. It's certainly a symptom of a, a changing climate in some ways, a changed climate, you know, is these drier, hotter summers that, that, you know, in a lot of parts of the West, you know, one of your neighboring States, New Mexico uh, recently battled a lot of fires. And of course, you know, California is always on fire and, uh, <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> right. it's, it's a symptom of these hotter, drier, just unrelenting droughts. And we've seen that here too. The fires were just, you know, awful. Oh, that's right. I, yeah. I remember coming back, uh, I mean, numerous times and being rerouted, uh, you know, to a new, to a new County road because there was a fire on this ranch and, and actually, uh, one of the ranches that I'm very close with in South Texas, they had a fire across the street. I mean, it, it wow. just it just got, you know, and how the those wildfires spread. I mean, it's it's literally in 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 the blink of an eye. Yeah, um, and it's and it's terrible for for a lot of things. Um, and it's just it's very frightening when it's that close to home for sure. Yeah, and and when you look at the situation that Mike was just describing, where there's already not much forage on the ground for these animals, and it's already just a really you know high stress survival time for those animals, and really uh, when we were having this conversation a little over a year ago, it was after that terrible ice storm, you know, that came through and really wiped out a lot of critters down there. Uh, just, just. Uh, you know, we we got to start making some serious changes fr- from a conservation standpoint here uh, soon. And, um, you know, it's places like Texas are kind of the canary in the coal mine, I think, because they are a little bit more on the extreme end. You know, here in Iowa, we're kind of in the middle of everything. So we get a little bit of everything. So when things are a little abnormal, I guess that's kind of normal. <laughs> but when things get abnormal in an extreme area, they're very abnormal. And, uh, you know, we see that with the ice storms that Texas has had a couple of years in a row. We've seen it with, uh, uh, now these, you know, horrible droughts. And then of course the fires that come with it, you know, it's, we, yeah, we need, we need to, we need to certainly make some changes, but still, uh, like you said, that's where the management on those ranches comes into play. People that are really smart, knowing what they're doing, are uh, doing their best to to make the most of it. And and uh, you know, guys like Mike can still have fun uh, playing in his backyard and and going to these ranches. So now, <clears throat> before we uh, wrap this one up, I know you got to get going here pretty quick, but. Um, when someone hunts on a ranch down there, is that something like you become a member of that ranch, you know, like pay like some kind of membership or is it like a, <clears throat> Oh, I think, you know, I'm going to go hunt, uh, uh, this ranch, you know, this year and I'm going to go and, and go down there a few days and pay, you know, some kind of fee to get in or like, how, do, how does that work for somebody to go about hunting in Texas on these private? Ranches? Yeah. So Texas has a lot of different hunting opportunities there. You know, contrary to a lot of, you know what what a lot of people believe but there are public lands to hunt in texas okay um there's not a ton it's not you know it's not this is not uh a wyoming this is not a colorado or or a lot of states for that matter sure um you know texas is a lot of private land but um 
just because it's private doesn't mean that there aren't hunting opportunities, right? And so um, a term that I had never heard of prior to coming down here were hunting leases. A lot of folks have hunting leases that have been in their okay. families for 20, 30, 40 years. Um, you know, and that up north, that wasn't a thing, right? I mean, we, we hunted state land. We hunted a friend's property uh, or family land. And so down here, uh, there's there are, you know, a lot of private ranches that, that lease out that land uh, to hunters. And then there are certainly a lot of, you know, private ranches that, that are open to um, conducting hunts that mm -hmm. you could, you know, buy and, and, you know, schedule on, uh, on a calendar. And I'm going to come down for the next four days or a week and I want to hunt this or I want to hunt that. And really there's a, there are just so many different types of hunts um, and different types of opportunities that I think people aren't really aware of in the state, which, which is great. I mean, because there are hunts that really are uh, available for just about anybody. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there are hunts, if you want to stay in a cabin with a jacuzzi and a giant fire pit and <laughs> someone, you know, someone just takes you out, on, <laughs> someone take you out, you know, on, on a giant jacked up machine to your blind, you know, and the blind has television in it. Yeah. We probably have those somewhere. <laughs> are there, are there ranches where, you know, Hey, we have, we have a little cabin here. I don't have a television. Um, and we're going to walk in from, from the house every day to the blind. Yeah, absolutely. So it really runs the gamut. And I think that's great. I, you yeah. know, I'm sure there are some folks that say, oh, you know, that's not hunting and this isn't hunting. I wish people would stop doing that. Um, yeah. yeah. because you know, everybody's needs are different and some people mm -hmm. want things that are a little bit different than others. And some people want more of a, a rough and rural experience. And some people want, you know, five-star lodging and, you know, I want to go hang yeah. out in the pool and, and that's cool too. Uh, and so Texas has a lot of that and I think it's great. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie. I wish we, I wish we had a jacuzzi up in New York, <laughs> but you know, really all kidding aside, there's, there are so many great opportunities to hunt. If you haven't hunted Texas, I definitely think you should probably, uh, put it on your calendar for the next couple of years. The opportunities are endless. There are a ton of cool species to hunt. Um, you don't have to travel across the world to do it either. Um, and, and though I think that's great too, and people should travel internationally, um, you know, everything changes. And so there's, there's a, a lot that could be done here. You don't have to leave the U S and, uh, it's, I'm telling you, it's, it's a great place to come down and hunt. Yeah, it sounds like it for sure. I, I definitely plan to do that at some point. And, and, uh, you know, uh, another part that we could kind of wrap this one up with is the whole food side of it. Texas, uh, unlike, you know, I think most states probably have their own like little bit of, you know, like, like regional food experience, you know, to some extent, but I would say like, especially here in the Midwest, it's very, you know, uh, hodgepodge, you know, a little bit of everybody around you kind of eats the same types of things. But uh, Texas is very much so its own food culture. And um, you see that a lot in, in Mike's posts of uh, what's going on with roaming fire food. And, um, you know, with all these different exotics, you have so many opportunities to expand uh, your palate. 
you know, and, and try new things and not just new seasonings or new brines or new uh, marinades or whatever on meat, just literally new species of meat. And, uh, I think that that's, that's another really cool part of hunting culture in, in Texas that I'm, I'm pretty envious of really, you know, just to be able to, to expand so much like that. So, you know, follow Mike, uh, they can follow you in two places just straight up at Mike Reber, right? Is, isn't that, uh, your That's main it, yeah. Instagram. And then you also have at roaming fire foods with an S, right? Uh, no, no. Just, just just roaming fire okay. Yep. So yep. just roaming at roaming fire food. And, uh, you will want to do that because you'll get to see all those delicious, you know, access to your hanging from the uh gambrel up above the uh the live fire going there and tomahawk steaks and and everything else uh it just looks like a, a ton of fun and uh you know probably the thing that i think uh is most uh you know inspirational about you mike is you're a guy who's lived out his passions you know you want you you want all of that in your life and so that's what you've pursued and you've you've made it your made it your job and made it you know, how you spend your time. And I'm sure there's still challenges to that. And, uh, there's still, uh, you know, hard parts of every job, but, uh, you like being around hunting. You like being around wildlife. You like being around food and, and that's what you do, man. So it's pretty inspirational. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no. And it, there's always work to be done, right? Cause if, uh, if, if there's nothing, nothing to do, you know, that's not a good thing. So right. we're always, always changing things and, uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought up um, just introducing folks to to different wild game and things like that. That's certainly one of the uh, the most important and and most rewarding points of of uh, what I get to do with roaming fire is just cook different things and show people, um, you know, that here's what Texas has to offer um, as far as wild game and you know we hope to have more people down here hunting and and, and enjoying the outdoors. Yeah. Yeah, very well said. I plan to do so myself. I hope uh, you as a listener do. I'm on down. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm coming down to see you, buddy. Um, uh, And uh, I hope all of our listeners do as well. Alex Gruen, our uh, longtime sponsor with East to West Hunts, can certainly make that possible for you. He can point you in all the right directions, call the right outfitters, even help you get set up with the right ranch experience that is, uh, you know, what you're looking for, kind of like what Mike talked talked about. And so uh, Alex can help you with that or anywhere else you want to hunt. If you want to go up into the promised land of elk hunting, like Mike talked about up there in Wyoming or Montana or Colorado, something like that. Or maybe you want to do uh, some uh, coos or cows deer is probably the correct way to say that. Um, down mm-hmm. in the Southwest, you can definitely do that. Or maybe you want to get after some mule deer on the the western prairies or whatever it is alex can help you with that be sure you do so be uh, thinking of that in the very short term with bear season spring bear season coming up in a few uh, western states um, go to easttowesthunts.com use the promo code first gen 10 save yourself 10 percent off that purchase and then our presenting sponsor spartan forge was just on them today as I was yesterday and the day before and the day before that, because I am trying to lock up more shed hunting access close to my house. Uh, I've, I've been working very hard on patterning where all the deer go off of my farm during the shed season. And uh, I think I got it narrowed down and I'm using Spartan Forge uh, every day to help 
pinpoint where those sheds are going to be found. And then I go and knock on the door and, uh, you know, cross my fingers and hope that I get some permission. And so far it's paid off. The uh, two places that I've uh, gotten permission, I've uh, picked up some sheds and uh, I hope to uh, add to that. So make sure you pick up your own subscription to Spartan Forge. And then during deer season, add on that feature of the deer behavior prediction to help make your days in the tree stand more valuable because time is valuable and Spartan Forge can help you save some of that. So make sure you visit our two sponsors and uh, more importantly than all of this, take care and take someone hunting.